Praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it is uh, kind of interesting uh, to see all the, uh, I hate to say it, commotion going on this morning. But in spite, of all, in spite of it all, our Lord Jesus Christ is still on the throne. In spite of it all, our Lord Jesus Christ will minister to his people today. And by his grace and by his mercy, that is exactly what we hope we to accomplish here this morning. In order to do that, I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles once again and turn back to the book of Revelation. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 18 uh, to the end of the chapter. And in this passage of scripture, our Lord Jesus Christ comes to this church in Thyatira. And you remember last week we began to kind of be, uh, introduce uh, this, uh, this church. We took a look at what I believed was the most pivotal part of the letter. That part of the letter where our Lord Jesus Christ calls out to this woman Jezebel and her influence upon the church. You remember what we said about that last week. We talked about the fact that this woman, in almost a surprising way, was given a place of prominence within the church. This woman was allowed a place of public teaching, and by way of her teaching, she seduced many of Christ's followers to commit, adult, uh, to commit idolatry and immorality. This was a very grievous stain upon this church, and our Lord Jesus Christ, because he loves his church, our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is committed to the holiness of the church, <clears throat> our Lord Jesus Christ called this matter out, and he made sure that this church knew, knew that this was not something that was to be countenanced in that local congregation. But what I want to do today is I want to come back to this passage of Scripture, and rather than just focusing on Jezebel and her sin, again, we did that last week, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the letter in its entirety. We'll look at this entire epistle. And I hope to do a few things. So one of the things that we've seen as we've been working through these uh, passages, these letters, is that these letters all basically fall out into a similar format. We have an introduction of our Lord Jesus Christ presenting himself, you remember, in a very specific way according to the need of the congregation. The congregation had certain needs, there were certain issues that had to be addressed, and our Lord Jesus Christ presents himself to the church in that capacity. We'll see that again today. The other things that we've been seeing so far is that our Lord Jesus Christ never fails to mark commendation when he finds it in the church. Whatever else may be going on by way of the sin of a church, our Lord Jesus Christ will not overlook that which is commendable. And that's something that I want to emphasize here this morning. In one sense, this church had many qualities that were extremely commendable, and I don't want to pass by them too quick. But the other thing that we've seen that our Lord has been doing in these, in these little epistles is he's, he's particularly been calling out those things that are deserving of condemnation and critique. And in a sense, we looked at some of that last week. We took a look, you remember, at Jezebel's influence. We asked the question, how could a woman like this even get into a place of prominence? Number one, as a woman, she shouldn't have had a public place of teaching in the church. Number two, because of the very things that she was teaching, these things were absolutely destructive to the well-being of that church. How did this woman get into the church and get into this place of prominence? Well, you see, primarily it was because of that tendency within all of us to compromise on matters that concern our safety and well-being. You remember one of the things that we looked at by way of the church, the challenge of the church of Thyatira was the fact that here was, a, here, was a, here was a church located in a city that was very much, you remember what I said, a blue-collar city. It wasn't like Pergamos, kind of a center of, of culture. It wasn't like Ephesus, again, another center of culture and religion. But this city of Thyatira was a blue-collar city. And in that city, it had many ancient trade guilds, the, the, modern, the, the ancient equivalent of our modern uh, unions. And what was happening in that city is that the individuals in that city, in that church, would not be able to basically work in society unless they belonged to a particular guild. 
Now, that might not sound like much on the surface, but what was happening is that those trade guilds had particular gods attached to them. And those gods had feasts that were celebrated. And in order to participate in the economic structure of the day, you had to participate in the religious structure of the day. And oh, by the way, in that religious structure, <clears throat> you may very well be called to participate in idolatry and immorality. And what this woman Jezebel was doing, very similar to what the Nicolaitans had done, very similar to the, to the Balaamites who were, uh, again, uh, allowing for compromise in these churches, what Jezebel was teaching was essentially this. You know, since you need to make a living, since you need a livelihood, to participate in those things in society, even though they may be somewhat detrimental to your spiritual well-being, is fine. You need to work, you understand. You need to provide for your own. Those things are true. But we don't need to do those at the cost of our soul or the cost of faithfulness to Christ. And that was the rub, as it were, with what was happening there in this church at Thyatira. Very, very similar to what was happening in Pergamos. Pergamos was a little different. There in Pergamos, there had to be a swearing of allegiance uh, to the emperor. Either you swore allegiance to the emperor, or if you did not, you did it under the pain or the threat of death. And what the Nicolaitans were saying and what the followers of Balaam were saying is that, look, your life is so important. If you have to just give over by way of verbal uh, acquiescence to the claims of the emperor, go ahead and do it and live your life to, to God, to, uh, to, you know, for God. And, and what our Lord is pointing out in each of these things, these things are unacceptable, this type of compromise. And what is compromise? Compromise is that jettisoning or leaving off of those things essential in the teaching or the concerning the person of Christ, leaving those things off in order to avoid the pressure of persecution from the, from the world. Now, Lord Jesus Christ says, no, this is not what I'm calling you to. Why is this? Why does our Lord Jesus Christ make this great emphasis? Because I am convinced that the scripture teaches that our Lord Jesus Christ is committed not only to your personal holiness, he is committed to the holiness of his church as well. And he will take steps to ensure that his church is a holy church. Over and over again in scripture we see this, do we not? You know you were called with a holy calling, don't you? You know that it was by virtue of the work of the Holy Spirit within you that you are saved. You know that it was the Holy Son of God who died on the cross on your behalf. Everything about salvation, everything about the Christian message is bound up in holiness. And not only is that true by way of the individual, it's true collectively as the body of Christ. You remember that beautiful passage of scripture there in, in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 27 where the Apostle Paul talks about how the Christ is redeeming a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. You remember how Peter says again, he has called us to be a, a holy nation. And so the, this great emphasis on holiness, in one sense, is the, moving, uh, is, the, is, is the moving thrust throughout all these letters. Our Lord Jesus Christ is addressing himself to these churches because when all is said and done, they are under threat of leaving off their holiness in order to acquiesce to the world. Now what I want to do here today is I want to take a look again at the, at the passage. We're going to handle it basically under those three points that I've tried to make uh, by way of the commendation that Christ gives, the condemnation or the critique, and then the counsel that Christ gives to the church. And so there's a sense in which I would say this, that the primary point that I'm trying to establish here today is that our Lord Jesus Christ always calls his church to holiness and will do everything necessary to ensure that holiness. My brothers and sisters, I ask you this question. Does that word holiness charm your soul? Does the concept of being a holy people resonate within the depths of who you are? 
Or is holiness an, an old-fashioned idea that was left off with our grandparents? I hope not. No, a thousand times no. And so again, this idea of holiness in Christ is calling his church again to holiness and to faithfulness. Well, let's take a look then at the passage of Scripture. We'll read the entire epistle here. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 18 through 29. Please hear the word of God. Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Not to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed on the idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you no other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I have received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. And he, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, let's take a look at this passage of Scripture then. And the first thing I want to do is to draw your attention to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, the person of our Savior, and how he presents himself to this congregation. He presents himself in a way that is somewhat unique in the book of Revelation, not unique to the teaching of the entire scripture, but unique to the book of Revelation. This is the only time in the book of Revelation, somewhat surprisingly, that our Lord Jesus Christ is referred to as the Son of God. And it's kind of interesting to see that because we expect everything by way of Christ-exalted nature. And I would even say this, there is a very high view of our Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. He's presented, again, being worshipped with the Father. He's presented as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's presented in a very exalted fashion. And so to see this title given to our Lord Jesus Christ only once in this passage of Scripture is somewhat surprising, but we need to take note of it. And the reason why we need to take note of it is this, because our Lord Jesus Christ is coming to this church and reminding him that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Son of God who saves sinners. He is the one to whom all earthly powers must one day bow the knee to. And our Lord Jesus Christ wants his church to hear that. It's kind of interesting when we get to this little city of Thyatira. As I said before, it was not a significant city in comparison to the other cities of this, of this book of Revelation. It didn't have, we might say, uh, the literary uh, impact of, uh, of Pergamos. It didn't have kind of the, the trading impact of Ephesus. Uh, uh, there were things by way, of, uh, uh, by way of this city of Thyatira that it was almost like a handmade town, we might say, a handmade city. What do I mean by that? Well, this city basically served in service of protection for the city of Pergamos. Pergamos was that place where, again, the, the center of culture was found. Pergamos was that place where there was uh, much by way of religious uh, uh, goings-on happening there. 
And any time there would have been uh, an incursion into this area by way of opposing forces, they would have necessarily, because of the geographical lay of the land, they would have necessarily had to have gone through Thyatira. Thyatira had been defeated many times in its history. But what Thyatira would be able to do would be able to serve as something as a tripwire. So that if Thyatira were under attack, then Pergamus would know and realize that it was now time to be ready for battle. And so Thyatira was almost, uh, you know, it was, as I said, it was a second-class city in a way. Well, the other thing that we see about Thyatira is that it was an, that it was an important uh, commerce center. And what's interesting is that the very thing that made it a tripwire city, so to speak, is the very thing that gave it its kind of uh, a commercial impact. Because if you were going to Pergamus, you would of necessity go through Thyatira. And so because of that, there was a lot of commerce that took place in Thyatira. Thyatira would be that place that if you wanted to go get a bargain somewhere, you would go to Thyatira and maybe go back to Pergamus. And so Thyatira, again, had this, uh, had this reputation of, of, again, being the stopgap city, but also being a place where much commerce took place. Hence, the trade guilds. guilds. Hence, the importance of belonging to the trade guilds. Hence, the challenge for the Christian, because in order to stay faithful to Christ... You would say no to those trade guilds and the, and the idolatry and the immorality that went along with it, and you would place yourself in jeopardy by way of your economic livelihood. You see, these, these things are very much current, and aren't they? Are they not? We can understand these things. We know more and more in our day. I, I just happened to see something online the other day where a woman from, a, from an HR department, and you know these HR department nowadays, they're like, the, they're like the gatekeepers to the companies, you know. And so this woman from, a, from the HR department, uh, she was, you know, was kind of saying in a cynical way, you know, you better watch out what your social media uh, input or impact or footprint, whatever they call it, whatever your social media uh, thing is. And the reason why is because these HR departments are checking this. And so just stop and think, if you were living in a day where it would be offensive to some people to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. Imagine if you were living in a day where it would be offensive for someone for you to say uh, on a public post that, that homosexuality is a sin, that God is against a homosexual marriage, that, this, that, that the whole flow of the culture is going in a way that's abominable to God. You think, I'm glad I posted that. And then six weeks from now, you're aging, the person you're, going to, you're applying for the job, that HR director says... Well, I don't think this person's going to be a good uh, inclusion uh, hire, so we'll just pass over this one, you see. Well, again, in, in that day, it was even more pronounced than in our day. And so, again, the great challenge here, and the, and the danger that Jezebel presented to this church was, listen, go along with these things. Go along with the, with, with the flow of, the, of these things. Don't stand out against the culture, and our Lord Jesus Christ will not countenance this. And so again, this city, Thyatira, again, interesting for those reasons. But our Lord Jesus comes again to this church as the, as the Son of God. And isn't it interesting to see how else he designates himself here? He is the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. And what this reminds us of, this reminds us of that discerning, that omniscient, that omniscient gaze of our Lord Jesus Christ. He knows, later on he'll say he tries the hearts and the reins. He knows the hearts, he knows the reins. He looks for his faithful people no matter where they may be. And here is our Lord Jesus Christ coming, evaluating and seeing through all things. His gaze, his omniscient gaze is so sharp that he's able to distinguish in this church those who are his followers and those who are the followers of Jezebel. His gaze is so sharp. That's why he'll say later on, again, he'll give counsel to repent to those who are sinning and those who are staying fast. He'll say to them, hold fast. This gaze of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And then you remember it says later on that he has these feet like burnished bronze, this, 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 this finely polished brass. It's kind of interesting, one of the trades that was there in, uh, in Thyatira would have been metalworking, and so this would have been something that they would have been able to identify with. But when we think of these feet of bronze and these, this finely polished brass, what we are seeing by way of intimation, by way of biblical teaching overall, is that this refers to the judgment, the judgment of Christ and here is our Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God with a discerning gaze able to bring judgment upon the wicked. And that's the very thing he threatens to those who follow Jezebel. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ is jealous for the holiness of his church. Amen. Holiness is not an antiquated idea. And I ask you the question again, does the word charm you? Is there an appeal in your soul for this word and this concept of holiness? I hope that there is. And so our Lord Jesus Christ comes to the church and he presents himself in that fashion. It's kind of interesting because whatever religious significance Thyatira may have had is that they were, uh, they were uh, the, the patron god above the, the gods of the guilds. The patron god would have been Apollos, the son of Zeus, known as the son of God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. There's only one son of God. And I am the one who by virtue of what I am, done, and who by virtue of what the Father has bestowed upon me, Psalm 2 you remember, ask of me and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance. And this is going to play, this is going to have an impact later on in the, in, in the epistle. This little town of Thyatira, those who are faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ, this little insignificant town will with our Lord Jesus Christ rule the nations. Amazing the things that he gives to his humble followers. You think you're insignificant in the world, and, many, and we are, we get it. You know, not many mighty, Paul says, not many, you know, according to the flesh. We understand all these things, but all the things that God has intended for you because of your union with Jesus Christ by faith. And so he speaks to this church. But the first thing that he does here after he introduces himself in this way is he comes and he begins to explain uh, to this church again this, this commendation that he gives. It's, it's wonderful. Now, many have noted that uh, this uh, city of Thyatira is probably the least significant of the seven cities, but this is the longest letter that's given to the seven churches. And there are wonderful things that are said here. And I love the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ will not pass over too quickly the fact that there are commendable things in this church. The church was challenged, to be sure. The church was in a, in a situation where, where severe corruption was, was potentially there. Uh, this woman, by way of her influence, I keep asking myself the question, how did she ever get to this place of prominence in that congregation? But there she was. And our Lord Jesus Christ, again, doesn't just run to that. He commends, first and foremost. That's your Savior, you see. Oftentimes we see it, and again, don't get me wrong, because I don't think I've ever been accused of, of, of counseling anybody to go soft on themselves, but please don't get me wrong, oftentimes Christ sees things in us that we often overlook, and sometimes those things are things that Christ sees as commendable. You see the flames of fire, the piercing gaze of our Lord Jesus Christ. But anyway, he sees this church, and what does he say about this church? Well, there are six things in the King James that are, noticed, that are noted here. Uh, five, uh, again, in one sense, but, but our Lord Jesus Christ here in the King James, uh, he, he emphasizes the word works, uh, starting with the works and then ending with works by way of this list. But notice what he says here. I know thy works and thy charity, thy service, thy faith and thy patience and thy works and the last to be more than the first. Significant things here. You might remember those of you who were with us last Sunday, last Lord's Day evening, we spoke about, uh, we asked a question about uh, what, what our church's culture is. What, what does our church look like? What's the nature of our church? What are the distinguishing characteristics of our church? Well, this church had some wonderful distinguishing characteristics, did it not? 
It was known for its works. It was known for its faith. It was known for its service. It was known, again, for its patience. All these things. And in one sense, what this cluster of attributes is drawing our attention to by way of this church is that this church was a serving church. This church, in one sense, was a sound and a solid church. Can I say it this way? You would have been happy to be a member of that church. If you were in need, there would have been people who would have come to your aid. If you were in need of prayer, there would have been people who would pray for you. If you were in need of a council, there would have been people who would have been able to come alongside you and counsel you. This church, again, had much by way of its commendation. And can I say this? I say this with care, caution, humility. But for those of you who are visiting with us, I think some of those characteristics are here in this church. And I know that there are people here, if you're in need, they will pray for you. If you're in need, they will come alongside you. If you're in need, again, of the, of the need to stand faithful in a, in, a, in a decaying culture, they will come alongside you. Amen. Oh, again, you see this church. And again, stop and think. And, 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 and when we, we get all excited about this, right? So, and, and you know me, I'm not one to give over too many compliments you know, uh, that, that easily. But this is what we see here. But our Lord Jesus Christ, again, will go on to mark out other things. But I don't want to move too quickly from, uh, this, uh, from this list here. As I said before, what we're seeing here really is ministry. What ministry should look like in a church. Amen. The works of Jesus Christ being t- going on. Real charity being shown one for another. Service on another's behalf. We take, a, we take a look around, and again, we see how many of the people of God, again, by way of this world standards, there's a lot, that's, there's a lot that they're in need of. Uh, some have physical needs. Uh, some have uh, spiritual needs. Some have, uh, some have financial needs. And this church, again, this church at Thyatira, they were Johnny on the spot, as it were. They were ready to do these works. So how did this church allow this woman to come in? We asked the question. And so, again, here was a church showing very, very commendable things. And you know what's interesting? This was a church that not only did these things, but this was a church that was getting better at these things the more it went on. How did this woman ever get in that church? Anyway, this church again had much by way of its commendation. Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ says, and, and, and the last to be more than the first. It's kind of interesting. We see many comparisons between this church and, and the church at Ephesus. Here was a church that had love. Ephesus had no love. Ephesus was a church that their works were increasing. Here was a church where its love was increasing. And I find it very interesting, in a very real sense, our Lord Jesus Christ threatens the church at Ephesus with the removal of the candlestick unless it repented. Here, our Lord Jesus Christ, by way of that discerning gaze, is saying to this church, there are individuals in that church who need to repent. There are individuals in that church who have a place of prominence in teaching that ought not to have a place of prominence in teaching. He doesn't threaten to do away with the church. It's kind of interesting to see that. And I don't want to minimize the seriousness of the sin, because in one sense, when we get to Thyatira, there is much that absolutely should not have happened in this congregation. But I love the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ spends this time, can I say it this way, even this extra time, with this concept of there's that which was commendable in that church. But not only that which is commendable, he brings out that which must be critiqued, and that which must be judged and condemned. And this is where we spent some time last week. You remember we talked about the influence of Jezebel there. Look, at the, look here at, uh, at, verses, uh, at verses 20 and following. Notwithstanding. I think this is significant. Notwithstanding. Yes, you have all these things that are in place. You have all these things that are going as they should. Yet notwithstanding. Did I, say, did I ask you, did I, did I say to you before how that Christ is jealous for the holiness of his church? 
And there may be a ton of things going on that are right, but there is a discerning gaze. It's a holy gaze as well of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, he will not be silent in the face of sin that threatens the well-being of the congregation, nor which brings, again, dishonor to the glory of God or to the glory and 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 the purity of the gospel. And so here is our Lord's condemnation of this church, this his critique. And notice again what he says here, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which called herself a prophetess. And we'll stop right there. You remember the point of emphasis I tried to make last week, where our Lord Jesus Christ was saying, thou sufferest, and there's a sense in which he's speaking to the pastor, or to the elders, to the leadership of the church. And he's saying, you're letting that woman teach. And you know that that should not happen. You know that this is a woman by way of her teaching should be excommunicated from the church or at the very least discipline ought to be, ought to be applied and her being given an opportunity to repent. But you suffer her. One commentator makes an interesting uh, observation here. The word suffer here is kind of connected to the word to, to forgive. You, you forgive her. You let this go. You don't, you don't deal with it as it should. You allow this to go on. And that should not that should not happen. And again, I get back to the point. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to put all the point of emphasis on the fact that as a woman, she should not have had a place of public authority by way of teaching in the congregation. That was bad enough, but it, it was the content of her teaching, especially. And again, we've talked about that 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 element of compromise that would allow for again this going along with the with the with the, with the kind of flow of the culture. We're still challenged with these things today. Again, I've made this point, I don't need, I don't need to, to reiterate it, but we're still challenged with these things today. I want you to notice something else here. This woman, Jezebel, and like I said last week, I bet you she was a favorite of the congregation. I wouldn't be surprised if when someone heard, oh, Jezebel, well, Jezebel was probably not her actual name, but whoever that woman was, I bet you there were people in the congregation who said, oh, yeah, so-and-so is teaching. They, oh, yeah, we got to go and hear what she has to say. Oh, she's one of my favorites, you know. And they would have went and they would have heard what she had to say. And the thing that I want you to see here, this woman was, this woman was self-styled. She wasn't called to an office. She was self-styled. She calls herself a prophetess. There was nothing by way of a designation. Jesus doesn't call her a prophetess. Jesus doesn't say that he had given her this place of prominence or, or position in the church. But she did it. She took to herself that office or, 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 that, or, or that function uh, as, a, as a prophetess. And so again, there's much that has to be called out on this, and our Lord Jesus Christ calls it out. But let's get back to the text. Now suffers that, that, that woman Jezebel that calls herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants. To teach and to seduce. You see, this is something, if we were to look at this woman Jezebel, whoever, whoever she was, we might say something along these lines. We can consider her person, probably not her name, Jezebel, but very much like Jezebel of the Old Testament, introducing idolatry into the worship of God. We can talk about her principles. Her principles were compromised with the world. We can talk about her power, her ability to seduce the followers of Jesus Christ into such marked unholiness. How does that happen? Well, again, sadly, again, when we get back to her principles, sadly what was happening, she was more than likely abusing and misusing uh, uh, biblical principles. This idea, again, that the soul is valuable of all things. What shall profit a man if he, loses, if, he, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And maybe Jezebel bought into that Gnostic teaching, that old ancient teaching that said that there was this separation between what you did in your body and what your soul was all about. So go ahead and indulge the world. 
You see, your, 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 your participation in these animal feasts has nothing to do with your soul. But every one of us knows, every one of us knows how corrupting the acts of the body are upon the soul. And I don't mean the acts of the body by way of legitimate and those things that God is blessing, those things that God has consecrated, but I mean the illegitimate use of those things. And so again, let a man try to dabble with sin and have it not affect its soul. It's an impossibility. Why is it an impossibility? Because God has made you body and soul. There's not this part of you that is unaffected by sin. And maybe that's what Jezebel taught. Maybe Jezebel, again, was teaching again. You know, we, we, we hear it over and over. We, 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 read, we read about it in church history. Maybe, maybe Jezebel was, was teaching those things that the Christian has liberty. And I find it very interesting that in two places in the New Testament, both by way of Paul and by way of Peter, both of them give emphasis to the fact, look, you've been given liberty, but only do not use your liberty as an occasion to the flesh. Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 2. And so again, there had to be these warnings. Why? Because there was this subtle seduction going on, <clears throat> going on not only by way of Jezebel, but other false teachers of that day. And so these things had to be condemned. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is calling these things out. Again, I, I, uh, they, she, she was teaching and seducing his servants to commit fornication. Now this becomes important because Jezebel is given an opportunity to repent and refuses. Bad news. Her followers, again, unless they repent, again, are going to suffer her same fate. Bad news. But there are those who may be seduced by her teaching. Here again, the compassion of Christ for his sheep who get bound up and caught up and sometimes seduced in the sense Christ has compassion on your soul, you understand. And you might be here this morning thinking, oh, pastor, if you only knew my sin, if you only knew what this was, if you only knew what... I'm saying to you, there's one who has gave this gazing eyes, eyes like a flame of fire. He knows these things. And he knows that he's able to discern between those whose hearts are hardened and those who are deceived and seduced. And those who are deceived and seduced, what does he say? He says again, repent of these things. And so our Lord Jesus Christ sets this all out before this church. The most severe judgments are, 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 are spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says here. It's, it's, almost, it's almost unfathomable for us in our day of grace to, to understand the, 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 the seriousness of these words. Verse 21, I gave her space to repent of her fornication. We get that. And she repented not. That grieves us. Verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them would commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Okay, we get it. We understand that God oftentimes judges sin with sin. You want to run in sin? God will give you full over to your sin. Romans chapter 1. But look at this in verse, in, in verse 23. And this, this shocks us. And I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Oh, so many things that have to be said here. Could you ever conceive of these words coming out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ to this church? I will kill her children with death. Did I, did I, did I mention how, how zealous Christ is for the holiness of his church? You understand? And so again, this great emphasis is being made here. And notice how it goes on to say as well. 
Again, I will, I, 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 I will, uh, I'm sorry, verse 23. And, um, and, and I am he which searches the reins in the hearts. This is, this is very, very insightful because this is what is attributed to God the Father in the Old Testament. He searches the reins. He searches the heart. Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. And listen to this. I will give unto you every, I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Why is it that over and over again in this passage of Scripture, in this letter to the, uh, to the church of Thyatira, works are mentioned? Probably at least four times the word works is mentioned. As a matter of fact, as I was studying this out, I kept going in my mind to, uh, again, where our Lord Jesus Christ gives an exhortation, and I kept thinking to keep my words, keep my words, and I was writing it out, keep my words, and I'm looking back. Oh, no, it's not keep my words, it's keep my works. Why does he say this? Are we saved by grace? You must believe that you are saved by grace. There's no other way to be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. You know the passage of scripture. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but by his mercy has saved us. Oh, but over and over again in the, in the scripture, and especially in the book of Revelation, we see that on that day, your faith will be evaluated by your works. You know what James says, don't you? Again, show me your faith, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so, brothers and sisters, again, Christ is, is zealous for the holiness of his church. And again, what are we calling our, What is Christ calling us to? He's calling us to a true, genuine Christian life that manifests itself. It not only manifests itself by way of our attitudes and by way of our heart, it manifests itself by, way, by, by the way that we live. Oh, this church that was serving, this church that was loving, this church that was patient, you see. There were things that proved out the reality of their profession. These ones were not like the ones who Jesus will say on that, on, that, on, that, on that awful day. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, oh, the, 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 the condemnation he's bringing here. But there's also, there's, there's, also, there's also counsel that our Lord Jesus Christ gives. And I find it interesting that in every one of these letters, Christ is counseling his church. You see, Christ is not, Christ is not you know, running off in a huff. Saying, you got this against you, and I, and I have this, forget it, you're out of here. He's not doing that. He's counseling. He's drawing the church back to himself. This is the whole purpose of our Lord's ministry here. Verse 24, but unto you, and I, I say, and unto the rest that are in Thyatira, as many as not this doctrine, which have not known the depths of Satan. What is this? This depths of Satan, you see, there, there's a, again, the commentators tell us that, 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 that Jezebel, the Nicolaitans, and the, uh, uh, and the followers of Balaam, again, they, they were saying that there was this real deep doctrine, you know, that if you really understood the dichotomy between the soul and the, and, and the body, you'd be able to engage these things, and you'd be able to do it in such a way, you'd be able to go into the depths of sin and not have it affect your soul. And they said it was the deep things of God, and Jesus says it's the deep things of Satan. Anytime there is, an, there is an encouragement to continue in sin, it's not the deep things of God. I don't care how sophisticated it might sound. And again, our Lord Jesus Christ is calling them out. <clears throat> but notice what he says here. Again, the second part of verse 24. As they speak, I, I will put upon you none other burden. And this is very interesting, this word burden here, because it reminds us of what we read in Acts chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. How that when the church council at Jerusalem was kind of figuring out what to do with the Gentile believers that were coming in, one of the things that they concluded was that the Gentile believers, again, they weren't under the law of Moses, but they were not to participate in the, in the idolatrous feast, and they were to abstain from fornication. Well, this was the very thing that Jezebel was allowing for. I know, again, that the scripture says that, but you don't understand my situation. You see, my situation is a little different. And if I do that, well, what about this? Well, listen, Christ calls us to be faithful to his word, doesn't he? 
in spite of the difficulties, in spite of the challenges. And so here is our Lord Jesus Christ giving this counsel. But notice what he says, I will put upon you none other burden. What's interesting, though, about this word burden is that in the Old Testament, we often find the prophets using the word burden for that message that God must give to his people as he is speaking to them. We have a passage of scripture like, like Malachi, and again, it's, it's, all, it's, it's all over, but like Malachi chapter 1, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. When the prophets had a word of judgment or a word from God to a sinning nation, it was a burden. And you know what it's like to be burdened with the sense of, of an awareness of God's holiness living in this society that we live. Now again, what do we do? Do we get angry at society? Do we blow up society? Absolutely not. You have a gospel to preach to this society, you see. And you take that message to, the God, uh, to, to, to our society. And so Christ is counseling here. Again, <clears throat> I, will give on, I will give unto you no further burden. Notice what he goes on to say here. His counsel to the righteous are essentially this. Hold fast, overcome, and hear the word of God. Hold fast, overcome. I think there are many interesting things, significant things that we see here. Our Lord, again, is distinguishing and discerning between the righteous and the unrighteous. And so all these things that we see here. One more thing I want to bring out before I get to my next major point. One more thing is this. Christ incentivizes obedience on the part of his church by way of making great promises. If you look here at the end of the passage here, again, notice what he says here in verse 26. Uh, to him that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and, I will, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter, they shall be broken into shivers, even as I have received of my father. Some of you may have translations of the Bible where those words are italicized. And those words are italicized because it's reminding us that this is an Old Testament quotation. And what is so significant about this passage of Scripture is that, is that it's taken from Psalm 2. And it refers to that passage of Scripture where our Lord Jesus Christ will be coronated by the Father as the faithful Son of God. And he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And what this, what this promise of Christ is saying to this little church, when I rule, you will rule. You will be there with me. Yes, the world thinks nothing of you right now. The world literally runs over you to get to the more important place right now. But you will rule with me with a rod of iron. This is significant. This is highly significant here. And here we see again our Lord Jesus Christ giving this great promise. And I will give unto him the morning star, probably a reference to our Lord Jesus Christ himself. So you will get, you will get Christ and you will be involved in all of his glorious activity in the fullness of time. This is a wonderful <coughs> promise that Christ makes to this church. And those promises are, are still given to the faithful followers of Christ today. Amen. And again, it may seem as though the world thinks nothing of you. So again... I don't want to say, so what? I know sometimes it can be very, very difficult. I get it. I understand it. I know what it's like to, to be pressured and, 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 and to be ostracized and outcast. It's not a fun thing. We get all that. But, oh, you see, if the, world, if, the, if the world throws you out, guess who's there? It's the Lord Jesus Christ there with you. And so there are these promises there. And so here's our Lord's evaluation of this, of this church. But I want to do something here, even though I don't have much time. Forgive me. I want to do something here that that might give us a little different perspective. We have Christ's evaluation of his church, but have you considered from this passage of scripture the churches, our churches, our church, evaluation of Christ? 
Have you noticed how Christ has come to this church? He's come as the Son of God in all of His glory. He's come with a discerning gaze, able to bring judgment on the wicked. He's always been quick to point out that which is commendable. He's always quick to call to repentance, never swift to judge. Judgment is a strange work. He delights in mercy and compassion. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who comes to this church, you see. You may be weighted down to hearing a sermon like this, but it's Christ again who comes in in this capacity. Oh, and he goes on and on. He again, he is so willing to, to have you join with him that he's willing to make you a joint heir with him. And whatever the Father bestows upon him, he's, he's, he's freely willing, more than willing, to have you participate in all those blessings that are given to him. Oh, these things again are wonderful. These things are amazing to see. And here is our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, because he is so zealous for the holiness of his church, he will not overlook its faults, but he will also, he will always Note those things that he finds commendable. Well, my brothers and sisters, here we are coming to an end of this little sermon here, an end to this epistle that Christ has written to the church at Thyatira. As with every one of these epistles, it's very, very applicable to our own day. And we ask ourselves the question, again, what type of church are we? If Christ would come to this church, what would he say? If Christ would come to you or to me, what would he say? Well, let me say this. No matter what he would say, understand why he comes. <clears throat> he comes because he loves you. He loves his church, you know. If he didn't love Thyatira, there would be no word to Thyatira. He loves his church. He loves you. Amen. Amen. Understand this, that our Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, is zealous for your holiness. Why is he zealous for your holiness? Because he knows that unholiness is so unlike the character of a father. And there is a sense in which there can be no true work of grace in the heart that doesn't have a corresponding reflection of holiness to it. He knows to be unholy before a holy God is a threatening thing. And therefore he calls you and me to holiness. Yes, he will call to repentance when repentance is needed. He will give great promises to encourage us in the way. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? with this church at Thyatira. Well, hopefully we learn a lesson. But what do we do with this Christ, the Son of God, with flaming eyes and burnished feet, who comes to this church? What do we do with Him? We receive Him. And we live by faith according to Him. And we embrace Him as Lord and Savior. And we say, as I've, from what I've said, as I've said this in weeks past, and we say to all earthly powers that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Yes, your profession of faith in Jesus Christ has much by way of its spiritual significance. It has political ramifications as well. We might see that more and more. But listen to the promise of Christ. Don't be fearful of flesh. The arm of flesh, again, what can I, what can I do? I will not fear what man can do unto me. The Lord is on my side. Amen. And so, brothers and sisters, hear the call of Christ in this passage of Scripture. Hear the promises that he makes to his faithful. And see in Christ himself the beauty of his person and the very lover of your soul, and cling to him above all things. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, make Jesus Christ to us all together lovely, we pray. May we forsake all that which you would find offensive. May we hear his word and heed his word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.